This episode contains adult themes and is not appropriate for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. It's Crystal, just sitting here in my uh, house, like I have for the last three weeks, just absolutely losing my mind. Um, but that's not what this podcast is about. <laughs> not today, anyway. I'm sitting here thinking about all of you also sitting in your homes. Um, I'm sure it is for me to listen to anything that has adult content with my child around. It is hard for me to uh, just find space to do things um, for myself currently. So uh, my heart goes out to all of you going through the same thing. And um, I hope it ends soon. Stay in your homes. Do not leave. Do not leave unless you have to. But you're hearing that from everyone, not just me. <sighs> Sigh. Sigh. I hope um, those of you that are listening to this can just have a nice sigh, a big, long, exhausted <laughs> sigh. But we're doing our drawing this week. Um, so far, I have only a few reviews on Apple Podcasts, and that's fine with me. I don't care. I threw all your names in. So let's see who the big winner is. Here we go. Names are in the bowl. And I drew Mandy PDX. You are the winner. So I will be in touch with you and find out what your size is. And I'll send you a WBY pod t-shirt. You're my first person in the world that will be wearing it. So rad. It's so rad. Thank you so much for those of you who did the review. Really appreciate it. I'm going to get some more swag soon. And I'm still unsure if I should start a Facebook page for our community. Honestly, it's mostly because I just can't even imagine like managing it. I don't know what that looks like. What should we do? You know? I mean, I can tell you that I've been thinking about one thing. I've actually received a few emails from people telling me their story, which has just been absolutely incredible, something I never would have expected. Um, and I just, I so appreciate people writing me and taking the time to do so. Uh, but here's a huge shout out to Sarah, who most recently wrote me her story. And thank you for writing me and all the correspondences we've had, Sarah. You're just an incredible warrior in the world, and I'm honored to know your story. Um, I, it inspired me. I was thinking about starting a blog, maybe, where people have the option to share their stories, and it's a way for people to read those stories. We all have different mediums for outlets, and we take in information in so many different ways. And I just started thinking, like, maybe there's avenues for guest blogs and people that want to share in that kind of way. Um, I don't know. What do you What do you think about that? Would you have something you want to share, you think? I don't know. I'll start a social media post about it and see what, see what we can come up with. I may just do it anyway. It's a great outlet for writing. And not everybody wants to be vocal about their story. And sometimes, um, I mean, not sometimes, writing's therapeutic and writing's beautiful. And maybe that's a way I can also share and uh, connect with all of you. Um, today's episode, we are, so we hit 500 downloads like an hour after I released Lee, which I want to thank everyone for listening. Um, we are, uh, I cannot believe that we're already halfway through. I cannot believe it. We're on episode five and, um, we've got Dan, Dan Weber, Dan, Dan, Dan. Um, so full disclosure, I used to, uh, attempt stand-up comedy. <laughs> I was never a full-timer, but man, I really loved it. 
Um, Dan was actually one of the first comedians I met when I started out, and he's exploded in comedy since then. And um, to this day, he makes me laugh so hard when he's on stage and when he's off stage. He's just one of those people that you meet in the world, and you know you are not going to meet anyone else like them. Dan also has a podcast with another uh, local, hilarious, very popular comedian, Eureka Ott. Uh, called What's More Metal. They describe it as two badass, knife-fighting, flail-wielding, acid-spitting, fire-breathing, burnout comedians dig into the most metal shit in the universe. And that's literally what they do. Like, they just take two topics and they talk about what's the most metal thing about that. those two topics. It's hilarious. So I'll put a um, a link up on our on our website for that. So here we are, Dan, Dan, Dan. Um, So I just want to give, I want to prep you all for what you're about to hear. A lot of the abuse that Dan has went through and a lot of the trauma that he went through, he does perform on stage. Um, Watching him on stage is just remarkable because he goes places where not many people go at all. And his dark, dark, deadpan delivery about what happened to him can be sometimes really hard for people to hear. And this is actually why I wanted to have him on so bad. I mean, it's imperative that we give space to all the people and the things that they went through, right? So the time to lean in is right now, and even when you don't want to, but it's important to understand how a person is shaped because of their trauma and how it affects our society as a whole. Dan is not someone that likes to be a hero of anything. Um, You'll hear that in his voice immediately. Uh, he doesn't even want to be the hero in his own story. I'm pretty sure of it. Um, well, maybe maybe comedy. He would probably like to be the hero of all comedy. Um, and I know he's going to cringe when I say that I think he is brave. That's just going to make him want to throw up. I say that he's brave. You know, please know that through all of this trauma and everything that he's been through, there's pathologies that have been created, right? And we're here to listen deeply to each other's stories to have a better understanding of our community and how we all work in the world together. Um, so now's the time to lean in. It's imperative that we take some time. And, and you know, one of my favorite things about Dan is the fact that uh, his ability to be raw and honest and to the point uh, where it kind of almost makes you uncomfortable. Like, we need more people like that. We need more people that aren't going to sugarcoat anything. Um, he keeps me on my toes. He keeps everybody on their toes. It's really weird. I was tr- I was thinking about other things about Dan that are my favorite things, and um, one of them I thought of was how he can really, uh, really. Oh, you probably hear my daughter upstairs. It's like a what's one child? It's like a herd of elephants. I swear to God. Um, anyway, he can really um, his ability to admit when he's made a bad choice or he's done something that he regrets. He's like, just says it. And I was thinking like, oh man, that would be really sweet to say, you know what? I love that how Dan could admit when he's wrong about something, which I really find endearing, but I heard his voice in the back of my head grumbling. And then I started reading all these Joe Abercrombie um, quotes. And then I started thinking like, oh my God, are they the same person? Because all these quotes sound exactly like Dan, which you'll understand after you listen to this. Um, And then I'm like, have they ever been in the same room? Maybe Dan is Joe. Maybe Joe is Dan. And then ironically enough, I found a quote from Joe Abercrombie. I hope I'm saying his name right. Sorry, Joe, if I'm not. 
But it says, I have learned all kinds of things from my many mistakes. The one thing I never learned is to stop making them. So sounds like something Dan would say. Ah. So here we are, number five. Again, this is a rough one. Stick with it. Stick through it because you'll hear the other side of it and you'll hear how Dan's ability to even function in this world is absolutely remarkable considering everything that he's went through and how things manifested for Dan and how when you finally do get the ability to tell somebody and you're not believed, how that can affect you for the rest of your life, you know? And oh my gosh, I don't even know if I mentioned, I got, um, I asked Dan who his favorite author is, and that's why I used uh, Joe Abercrombie for um, for that quote. Um, I don't know if I mentioned that or not. So yeah, here we are, number five. And again, congratulations to Mandy PDX for winning the t-shirt. Uh, yeah, number five, here we are. Um, you know, if, if, if you, when you find yourself having to hit pause, because Dan is very curt about what happened to him. Um, he's very comfortable with it. Lean in. You know, now is the time. We are all isolated. Lean in. Listen to his story. Believe him. Believe people. And as always, go into this number five ah, podcast. Go into it with an open heart, open mind. Thanks for listening. And I love you. Uh, I mean, I grew up in Tillamook. I spent my formative years in Tillamook, Oregon. Form, okay. okay. So I I was born in Hillsborough and grew up there for like till I was seven. And then we moved to Tillamook from, I lived there from seven to 17. Wow. So when you were born in Hillsborough, were you, were your parents together? I was adopted. So oh. no. You know this. <laughs> yeah, I would. Oh, yeah, for sure. I was. Ado- I wasn't even adopted in at birth either. It, it was about three months after I was born. Wow. Because I uh, did not know this. Oh, uh, yeah. It, it starts the the life story of Dan Weber starts off bad, <laughs> like from the jump, like terrible. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, I mean, honestly, like uh, if you do the math, um. There's a good chance I was conceived in 1969 on Halloween, right? Oh. And my birth mother at the time would have been 16 years old. The birth father was much older. Uh, so the chances of that being consensual are maybe a coin flip. Like, it, like I, I think maybe 50% chance yeah. that it wasn't just an assault, right? So then I give, she gives me up for adoption. Uh, and... Um, and then I'm immediate. I'm born with a defect. I'm born with a genetic defect in my intestines, where there's just a knot in my intestines. So I'm slowly starving to death. So for the first like three month, first month and a half of my life, like I was just dying, like a little bit at a time. Uh, there was a family that was going to adopt me, and then they were like, you know what, this one's broken. Put him back on the list. We're going to wait for another. And it, honestly, like the only reason I'm adopted is because I'm white. Like. If I'd have been any other color, I would still I would have been in foster care forever. But because I was a white male baby, everybody's like, "Yeah, I want that one." Kind of the Porsche of adopted children. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I had surgery at like a month and a half, uh, and um, <laughs> this is a discovery I made about three years ago, and uh, I've tried to talk about it on stage, and it's people 
are absolutely horrified by it. So I can't, I can't even make it. I, only, only a very small percentage of people think it's as funny as I do. But um, when I had surgery, so from 1940 to 1987, uh, they didn't think that infants could feel pain. So when they did surgery on babies, they would give them a muscle relaxer to paralyze them, but they wouldn't give them a painkiller. Oh, my God. So I had surgery done on me, like, essentially, like, uh, you know, uh, night paralysis or whatever, you know what I'm talking about? Except with knives. Like, there was a guy that slid me open and cut out, chopped out some of my intestines, clipped a chunk, sewed it all back together, still have a scar. Wow. So that was my first team in contact. Honestly, like I I like like for the first 3 months of my life the only contact I had with people cuz nowadays also uh if I was a if I was a adopted potentially adopted child now, they bring they have people come in like, you know, volunteers and so on to like hold the babies or whatever. 1970. They didn't no. give a fuck. No, <laughs> they're like, put it in the back seat. Yeah, no seat put it, yeah, yeah, put like it in the fucking carry it in the front seat. Yeah, like yeah. They know, yeah, yeah. Nobody gives a shit. No so. one does. That's crazy. Yeah. So and I and then I, I a little while like I was working on a joke about it, and it's a tough sell. Yeah. So uh, I thought I would do some more research, right? And it turns out that up until 1940, they thought infants could feel pain. And then one guy decided he wasn't so sure, so he did a study where he would just poke infants with needles, and because they didn't flinch, he didn't think they could feel pain. Like, this fucking psychopath. That doesn't even make sense because... No, in no way does that make sense. It's not. It's not a Systems reasonable. Systems are th- not developed. Yeah, like, of course they didn't flinch. They don't have muscle reflexes. Yeah, you fuck. Yeah, so that, he just he just wanted to stab some babies, and then yeah. he was like, I, "I found a re- I found a way." Yeah. So he and then he did it, and then uh, and then in 1987, this lady's uh, preemie son died after surgery from uh, trauma because. You know the the yeah. the shock of getting surgery done on him was too much for his system, and uh, then she found out because she didn't know they weren't telling people like yeah we're not mm-hmm. we're not anesthetizing your children, <clears throat> so nobody knew. And then uh, so she found out and then uh, talked to the manager like she was a white just a white lady went up the chain until the surgeon general was like yeah wait a minute yeah we got to say. Got to anesthetize babies now. So That's, 1987, they changed it. That is insane. It is. It's fucking madness. But this they is did, where we are. Yeah. I did a study. They did a study because uh, doctors were like, in order to make themselves feel better, were like, you know what? Even if they can feel pain, they can't form memories. So they, yeah. it won't have any effect on them in the future. Yeah. Right? So they, did a, they tried to do a study to see like, what effects it had on on infants. Uh, and so they tried to find a bunch of people to do interviews, but it turns out that about 80% of them killed themselves or died of drug and alcohol related stuff before they hit 30. So, I mean, honestly, that is all the proof you kind of need. Like that's right. <laughs> like it, it definitely has an effect. Yes. Yes. And even being born is 
Yeah, trauma. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty it's, bad. but It's pretty bad, but yeah. you, it's not getting stabbed. It's not getting slit open. Yes, it is not. So, okay, so you get slit open at, yeah. w- at one, one and a half months. One and about one and a half, one month, yeah. You recover, and then you're good enough to get adopted at yeah. that point. So three months. Um, who adopts you? Is, uh, it, is it your mom? That, yeah, the, the, my, my, uh, my mom and dad, yeah. Okay, so your mom and dad. And how, how old were they? They were 28. Oh, so fairly young. And then did you have siblings automatically? No. Uh, uh, my sister is also adopted. She was adopted two years later. Okay. Okay. So you were two when yeah. she came around. Yeah. My, my mom could not have kids. She had, uh, she took the, like, well, she took a 1960s birth control. And, uh, you know, once again, medicine was not. Wasn't advanced. So it demolished her reproductive organs, and she had to have a full hysterectomy when she was like 25 or something, 24. Um, so, yeah, she couldn't, she couldn't have biological kids, so she was forced to adopt. So were they married, I'm assuming? Oh, yeah. There's married. no way they couldn't. I mean, back then back they wouldn't then, never. Yeah, they wouldn't have been adopted, duh. I forgot. Honestly, they probably wouldn't have been allowed. <laughs> they probably wouldn't be allowed to adopt children now. Like, yeah. But uh, back then, the entire there were so many people giving kids up for adoption too. Well, like, I mean, there, there there was so much shame around. Yeah, abortion. Yeah. But also, in general, uh, back in in once again 1970, the entire interview process was: Are you white? Yeah. Good parents. <laughs> That's it. It was a hundred percent. They didn't do any other kind of checking. So yeah. Yeah. But yeah, they were, yeah, be, it was both uh, my sister and me. Okay. So <clears throat> your sister and you, and then they have a good relationship, your mom and dad? Was it healthy, quote no. unquote? No. And you knew early on? No. Uh, I mean, the thing that, the thing that uh, occurs to me all that's like still occurs to me to this day is how like, when you're a kid, um, you just think whatever happens to you is what happens to everybody. Yeah. So none of my life seemed abnormal. Yes. Yep. And I was like, oh, it was only till way later. I was like, wait, that not everybody? Like, yeah. what? Oh, okay. Like, yeah, they were, I would have no idea yeah. if they were, if they were, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, my dad was gone a lot. He was a long haul truck driver when I was when I but to, but until I turned seven when we lived in Hillsborough. And when he was around, he was drunk like all the time. So, um, yeah, it wasn't. I don't know, man. Like it, looking back on it, at the time the timeline of how like I behaved, uh, it it was certainly like I was behaving as if I'd already I was already fucked up like before anything happened that I remember. Like like literally one of my first memories is thinking about killing myself. Like that's like like five years old. I, I do I talk about it on stage and yep. it's not it's not I'm not exaggerating. You're not joking. Not right? I mean it's it's a i am making a joke about it, but it's yeah. not it's a hundred percent real. Like I definitely one of my first memories is thinking about ending it, um, which is not how that's supposed to be. Uh, and uh, so, 
So yeah, I mean, early on, and it, I mean, I you know, my I almost got, I almost died another time when I was like four. That I I also don't remember. Just had an allergic reaction to a no pest strip, uh, and um, my temperature shot up to 104, and I was convulsing, and they had to throw me in a bathtub full of ice. They thought I had, they thought I it caused braid damage because I had, my temperature was so high for so long, um, which I. <laughs> I used to my advantage a little bit when I was younger, like mm. in class, I would be like, yeah, I can't read. And I could absolutely, I, I was reading at a college level at the age of five, but I was like, I can't read. So yeah, they would have a person help me with the reader. And then like on lunch break, I would go read Lord of the Rings in the corner. And it's like, <laughs> it was easy. It made class, it made school mm-hmm. super easy, but I don't know if that was a good idea or not. Well, you were in, yeah, trying to survive yeah. and figure it out. Uh, so, let's see. Yeah, at five, um, that's when uh, it, we were living in, uh, it's an it's a area called um, Cornelius Pass, which is in Hillsborough. But, like, once again, like, it's way overgrown now, but there was nobody out there. There was, like, it was, like, a little... A little road that had like five houses on it and then nothing for a few miles. So um, my next door neighbor, uh, she was in high school, like uh, maybe a freshman at the time. And uh, my parents told me, and in specifically like, whatever Leslie tells you to do, you should do it, right? Because she knows what's, what's up. <laughs> And they didn't know that what Leslie wanted me to do was uh, eat her pussy every day. Oh, my God. And how old were you when it first started? Five. Oh, my God. Five to seven. Here's the thing. Once again, much like everything else in life, uh, you have no idea if it's weird or not. So because I was told that this is a good idea, you should listen to what she has to say. And... uh, Honestly, it was super fun. Like, I, it was my favorite thing to do at five to from five to seven. Like, I looked forward to it. It was super fun. Uh, so, um, and I was good at it. Like, I was good enough at it that um, she brought a couple other people over to. Oh my god! To, for me to, now I'm going to start tearing up, and I'm sorry. Well, it's it's. The thing that gets me about it all is that it's the lack of human contact and the lack of intimacy. You found it to be fun because it was intimate, you know, like in, in a weird way. I mean, you may not see it like that right now, but I'm just saying like what as an outsider, I'm like, there's yeah. a point where I'm like, oh, because that was someone giving you something. Oh yeah. Like human contact sure. and and closeness and you know, so it makes sense that you that you were like, yeah, this is awesome. Yeah, you I mean I, I mean obviously there was a deep seated need. I mean I I I don't want to make it sound like my parents weren't uh both of my parents were like um uh No, totally. I'm talking yeah. about that those those first couple years. Oh yeah, yeah, for you sure. Know, the, like the first, it, the first three months or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, it 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 fed some sort of need. Yeah. So I did. And that. She had friends come over. Yeah. And just watch. No, not just watch. 
Oh my god. That's insane. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. For two years. Two years. And then you move, which you were probably happy about, or were you distraught? Uh, she broke it off with me before then, before we moved, uh, and I was devastated. What did she say? She was just like, we can't, like, we almost got caught a couple of times, um, which I didn't know. Like, I was, I, I, you know, um, she said it had to be our secret or whatever. I have no idea. I didn't know I have any idea why. Uh, so she broke it off with me and, um, I was absolutely devastated. Um, I, I do, <laughs> I do talk about this on stage, like all of this on mm-hmm, stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as I put it in the joke, uh, you know, I didn't know that not every young man had a fuck Sherpa that took you to the top of Cunnilingus <laughs> mountain. Like I didn't, I thought, yeah. you know, I thought it was normal. And if I'd have known that she'd have gotten in trouble, if, yeah. if she if she if they'd have found out, I would have blackmailed her to let me do it more. You know. And so, did you tell anybody at all when you were going through this? No, no? not even like this cool guy telling. Like, no, because mm. I don't know. Five and six. No, really. I mean, I didn't really. I mean, she told me to keep it a secret. And so you did. So I did. Wow. I mean, I didn't want to. I was afraid that other people would horn in on my action. Like, I don't want to let anybody know, in part, because I was told not to, but also because, you know what, this is my thing. Like, mm-hmm. you don't, you know, fuck you. Get yeah. it? This is, you know. I just don't know, like, like part of the problem uh, was that um, normally when uh, somebody tells you they don't want to fuck anymore, you're like a teenager at earliest. So you're kind of psychologically prepared to deal with that. I had somebody tell me they didn't want to fuck anymore at the age of like almost seven. So I didn't have any way to deal with that at all. So it was just like, yeah, it was fucked up. It was devastating. Pretty devastating, yeah. Did you tell anybody then? No. So you kept that heartbreak to yourself? Sure, yeah. Wow. I mean, I'm, I've, I've never, I, I never really spent a whole lot of time telling people much of anything. Uh, and, and the reason, obviously, I'll tell you why. Um, neither one of them, none of my family will listen to this, so it's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at one point, um, I did tell them. So uh, we were doing stuff. Uh, my ba- uh, Leslie's parents came home, and for whatever reason, uh, we were in the backyard in the in the waiting pool. So she grabbed my clothes and ran inside. So I had to go home. She was like, "Go home!" And so I went home naked, right? And my parents were like, "Why the fuck are you naked?" So I just told them, and then um, they told me I was lying, Ugh. and then uh, spanked the shit out of me and sent me to bed without dinner. So I was like, okay, <laughs> like that was it. That was all I ever needed. All I ever yeah, needed. Yeah, you're never going to tell anybody anything. No, yeah, like... never again. I, I, I've never trusted authority one for one second for the entirety of my life. Right. Like, so yeah, I don't believe that anyone will help you in any way. Just kind of like that got locked in. Yeah. At, like of six. course. And like it was like actually it was like <sighs> maybe I was like five six. Just yeah. I just turned six. So yeah. Never told another person about it after that. 
That's crazy. Except for the all the people in the comedy audience now. Well, sure now. Which is I know it's interesting how that's manifested itself in a way. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I've had a long Good time hour. to fucking yeah. process it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So you moved to um, Tillamook heartbroken. Yeah. Yeah. In in a lot of ways. And where were you? How was your behavior like? Uh, I was much worse in Hillsborough. Like I would get in fights all the time and shit. Oh. And then when I went when I came to Tillamook, I um, I didn't fight as much. I was pretty quiet. Uh, kind of kept to myself. I um, I needed glasses, but didn't know it, so I couldn't read the board. And Ugh. like, like, and and my last name is is a W, so clearly I'm sitting in the back of the room because yeah. they do it in alphabetical order. Yep. So I can't fucking see the page. I can't see the the board. Can't read the board. Uh, didn't need to, uh, frankly, because they never put anything on there that you would actually couldn't. Yeah. Uh, just figure out from reading the books, so it didn't matter. But I didn't ever raise my hand either. Like I never, I never spoke up in class or anything. Withdrawn. Yeah, and bit. I was just just getting through, just passing yeah. through uh, childhood until uh, fourth grade, <laughs> and then yeah, and then in fourth grade, um, they gave us uh, essentially an IQ test, like a district wide IQ test. And um, my score came back so high that they thought I had cheated. So they made me take it again, a different test again with just one guy watching me, like by myself in an office, <laughs> like an empty office. And I'm thinking back on it. I'm like, you know what? If if I was able to cheat on an IQ test, doesn't that just tell you all you need to yeah. know like yeah like a, how could you Duh. possibly do yeah. that it's yeah. not it those aren't cheatable tests so um after that after the results came back uh everything changed like like before that i was just like a kid that was trying but not a good student whatever he's just gonna fall through the cracks and we don't give a shit perfect that's what i would have wanted instead afterwards um it was like uh i was a personal insult to every teacher i had like cuz i wasn't doing well so obviously they're failing so they have to take it out on oh. on the student i guess i mean that's what i that's that's what i've been able to that's what i think happened anyway so um yeah like everybody started treating me differently um and i started doing less cuz i was like fuck you like i don't mm-hmm. i was already had I, I guess what they what a um anti authoritarian disorder. Yeah. yeah. Whatever, like a hundred percent. Like I just didn't give a fuck. And if you told me to do something, you'd go fuck yourself. So I I wasn't I did less. And I uh in uh, I got through fourth grade barely. In fifth grade I was just I wasn't doing well. I was failing. And also uh for whatever reason this one the teacher in fifth grade, uh, just just drew the worst class. Like, like all of the worst kids in the elementary school, including me, were in her class. Like, she retired from teaching after that year. She moved from Tillamook to Arkansas and quit teaching after my class got done with her. She spent almost every 
like the last half of the year, every day she would be in tears. Like it was insane. We were the worst people to her. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was failing uh, and I should have failed. uh, What were your parents doing with all this? They were getting a divorce. Mm. So they didn't really have a whole lot of time to worry about me. (laughs) Like it was, I mean, I don't know, honestly, like they didn't, they, they were like concerned or whatever. Um, I got punished a lot, but I didn't give a fuck. So yeah, this is like what? 1980. Yeah. So kids did, yeah, it didn't matter what you were going through anyway. Like all that mattered is what they were going through. Yeah. Yeah. And yep. Ignored. Yeah, pretty much. Kind of. I mean, they certainly went out of their they they certainly uh spent a great deal of time punishing me, but it didn't work. Hmm. I did not care. They were right. like, Oh, you're grounded. Fine. Uh, you want me to stay in my room? Perfect. Yeah. I, I, that's where all my books are. I'm just I don't I mean uh, the only thing I'm bummed about is not getting to watch TV, but I'll just listen to the radio. I don't give a shit. Like mm-hmm. none of this matters. I was a uh, I was a child without whimsy. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that was, I was not a kid that ever had, like, I mean, I had an active imagination, but it wasn't geared towards, uh, like, playful shit. Mm-hmm. I was, like, fucking bitter. Yeah. A bitter nine-year-old. I don't know yeah. if you've ever met one, but it's yeah, disconcerting, I, I imagine. Yes. <laughs> like. Yes. So, yeah. So, I was failing. Fifth grade. And um, the district had had somebody, school district number nine, had somebody who was like my handler. Like after after the test got taken and stuff, they had somebody oh. whose like job it was to monitor me and to figure out like, what can we do, right? And he, it was like, he was like, I don't know. I was probably one of many, but he was like, well, what can we do to get this kid to give a shit? So what they came up with, the plan was, they came to me in the fifth grade and they were like, we know why you're not doing well. It's because you don't want to grow up. So you don't want to go to junior high. You don't want to become an adult, uh, which was wrong. Well, uh, yeah. 100% wrong. Like, I absolutely hated being a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, they were like, so what we're going to do is uh, no matter what you try, no matter how hard you try, you're going to pass and go to junior high, right? And then they said, so you might as well do your homework, which is the really the dumbest thing any person has ever looked me in the eyes and said. <laughs> like, you just told me I don't have to do anything. Why would I? Yeah, so you better do your homework. Yeah, what that the fuck? That doesn't even like, If sense. I'm as smart yeah. as you think I yeah. am, you just told me I could do nothing, <laughs> right? And I didn't. And I, yeah. and I, I did... I did an experiment. I didn't do shit. I signed my name to the top of tests and handed them in. Like, didn't give a fuck. And I passed to sixth grade. Oh, my God. So I was like, perfect. This is easy. Like, I can do this. No problem. (laughs) Oh, yes. Also insane. insane. It's insane. Yeah, it honestly, like, I if it hadn't happened to me, I would think I was making it up. But... At least it's how I remember it. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless these are false memories mm-hmm. implanted in my brain, that's fucking what went down. Um, so the um, sixth grade. Sixth grade. So your parents, are they split then at this point? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you're living with your mom? Yep. Okay. And where'd dad go? 
Is he uh, close? He moved about a mile away. Okay. Uh, oh, actually, no. Uh, at this point, he lived he lived 150 yards away in a trailer oh, in a in a parking lot of a of a barn that was like just down the street. Okay. Okay. But we bar- we hardly ever saw him. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> also. Yeah, the reason they got a divorce is because he was he was uh, he was going on hunting trips back to Eastern Oregon, and what he was he was also while there uh, hooking up with this lady. So um, he decided he wanted to be with her instead of my mom. So they, um, she was also married. The other lady was also married. So they both got divorces and moved in together. Was that the narrative you were told? Did they tell you that right away? Like, that's why they were splitting up? That's what my up? mom told me, yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, she actually said uh, one of the creepier things I think I've ever heard. Uh, <laughs> she said, uh, she was like, uh, <laughs> I remember after he left, it was like a day later or something. She's like, you're the man in the house with all that goes with that. Which is... <laughs> Not good, you know. That's 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 foreshadowing uh, in a in a very bad way. But yeah, but yeah. So <laughs> so, so fucked up, right? Yes, that's incredibly fucked up. It is, and that you remember that, like and that she. It's yeah. It's hard to talk. It's hard to even mention something like boundaries in this situation. Like, well, I mean, I yeah. What what were those? I don't. I know. Then there there were none. There were none in yeah, your life. Zero, no. Zero. I didn't know what that would be. Right. Like, I'd have no idea what that is. Um. So. Uh, in sixth grade, I got a teacher. Uh, I'm gonna use her real name because fuck that cunt into the <laughs> ground. Her name is Marion Grassley. Um. She. Uh, she prided herself on being able to shave square pegs to to fit in round holes. Like she was, oh. she was somebody that was like, "I'll take on all the problem kids and I'll fix all of them." So she requested that I be in her class, um, and then immediately set out to try to sabotage. Uh, you know, break my will. Like, mm-hmm. to, oh, to, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She wanted to like help you and help me. To help mm-hmm. me become a better cog in the machine. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we entered into a what a, amounted to be a war of wills, like almost immediately. But her problem was that um, she didn't have much leverage. <clears throat> she didn't have a whole lot. To make me care. Like there was a brief period of time where I actually tried because mm-hmm. I wanted to be in this play. And I couldn't be in the play if I wasn't passing. So I got all my grades up to passing. And as soon as the play was over, I stopped giving a shit. It was devastating. She was like, she thought she had won and then it was like over, right? Uh, but yeah, we entered into essentially a battle of wills where she was trying to get me to give a shit and I just had to do nothing. Like that's all it, it was. All I had to do was endure. And um, by this point, by that point in my life, I was pretty good at it. I, mm-hmm. I could just, you know, I could make it through whatever. Yeah. So, um, and this was a class that was run on kind of a like capitalist thing. Like you had fake money and you could buy like shit 
to, and if you were in debt, you couldn't do a lot of things. Um, I set the record for the highest debt in class history. <laughs> <coughs> I was $300,000 in debt. God. Uh, it took three people in the class to buy out my debt on the last day of school. That's hilarious. Yeah. That's how much effort you were just like. How much effort I didn't give. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, by that point, like I, I was, I was sitting in the corner, like everybody else sat at tables and groups and teams and shit. I was sitting in a carol in the far corner, just left to my own devices. I would just sit there and read a book and do math and shit and just not give a fuck. But at one point, um, she she tried everything that she could think of, and I believe that she she did something. Uh, and I when I've told I, I talked to a counselor about it, uh, he was like, if she did that now, she'd be thrown in jail. So what she did was, <clears throat> one day I came into class. I don't remember sometime in spring, maybe late spring, and uh, we went to go sit down or whatever. And she's like, oh. You know, everybody get in the circle. So everybody got in the circle. And then I went to go get in the circle. She's like, no, you sit in the middle. So I sat in the middle of the circle. Everybody else sat around me. <coughs> oh, God. And then uh, they spent the next oof, three to four hours talking about solutions to the Dan problem. Oh, my God. They went in a circle and <laughs> tried to figure out what they could do to, to make me give a shit. So. Um, oh, God, those labels of like that you're a problem, <laughs> right? Of course, like what the fuck? Yeah, um, and everybody's ideas were fucking stupid. I remember oh, uh, just uh, sitting there, like, what gold stars, stickers, what the fuck? Like, yeah, you know, pointless, right? So I'm just getting madder and madder as time goes on, and um, then finally. Like after, I don't, uh, honestly, I don't know how long. It might have only been an hour, but it, it could have just been five minutes and it still would have been yeah. too much time. Yeah. But it was definitely like more yeah. than that. It was between when we first arrived and lunch. That yeah. was the whole time we spent. Uh, she was like, okay, everybody else has had something to say. You know, what do you think, Dan? What do you think the solution to the Dan problem is? And... um. I just didn't say anything, and I stared at her. And then she was like, come on, surely you have something to say. And I just kept staring at her and didn't say anything. I was fucking angry, but I just didn't. Well, yeah. And this is when I learned a valuable lesson that have used a great, to, <laughs> a great deal of the rest of my life. If somebody want, is like... If somebody is trying to get something from you and you just instead give them absolutely nothing oh, and yeah. just stare them in the eyes, it will break their will to live. Mm -hmm. So she just like started like freaking out and yelling and crying and then ran out of the room and I didn't do shit. Like I just sat there and then after she ran out of the room, I just went back to my carol. Yeah. And started reading a book. Now obviously I was shaking, it was adrenaline. I was I yeah, wanted to fucking angry. murder her. Yeah. I was like, well, this is good enough. And then she gave up. That was it. That was the last time 
Wow. She's like, there is no solution to the Dan problem. <laughs> like, I was, just gave up. And then I passed. I didn't do shit. I passed to junior high and just left all that shit behind. That is insane. Yeah, I spent every single day in detention after school. Um, the other thing to keep in mind, also, during this period of time, my mom got a job at a place, uh, and um, she was working like 16 to 18 hours a day. So, like, I was, there was no one around. Like, I, you know. Um, you were on, completely on your own. Pretty much, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, mean and plus, probably having to take care of your sister here and there. I made dinner and shit, yeah. See? Man of the house stuff. Yeah, kind of. Um, that lasted for a little while. Till we moved to Hillsboro. She moved, we, she moved back to Hillsboro. I, I went for a little while and then moved back and came back to Tillamook to live with my dad to graduate. Because I was like a junior when we moved and I didn't want to do that. I just got used to being in Tillamook. I don't know why I fucking gave a shit more than that, but I did. Um, but yeah, and then, uh, <laughs> and then in junior high, my, my mom kept trying to fuck me. Oh my God. I never did though. Never did it. What does that look like? And I'm sorry that I'm asking that. Uh, she that would give me, like? she would give me erotic back massages and nibble on my earlobes and whisper in my ear and shit while she was doing it. I didn't know until much later that that's what was happening. Like I once again, I just thought every mother did that. Uh, and I didn't even know, it didn't even occur to me that that was weird until one day I was talking to a counselor of mine and I just mentioned it in passing and he was like, wait, back up a little bit. What do you, what do you mean? What the fuck? And I was like, oh, yeah, you know. You know, right? And he's like, no, dude, that's not, <laughs> that's not normal. So, yeah. She'd like nibble and say things in your ear? Yeah. Oh. Did you ever... Have you ever talked to her about this? No, she's dead. Well, I know. Recent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no. I just stopped talking to her in general uh, for the last 10 years of her life. Um, I, didn't, I didn't, hadn't spoken a single word to her until um, I visited her at the hospice, like two days before she passed. And, um, and then I just flat out lied to her. I just... You know, gave her a hug and was like, you know what? It's all okay. And then let her die thinking that that was the case. Because what's the harm? Like, it doesn't really hurt me that much. And, uh, you know, if it alleviates her, like, suffering a little bit on her way out, that's fine. Like, it, you know, it's not like she's going to find out she's dead. She can't find out Mm -hmm. now. So you can just lie to the, you can lie to people who are dying all you want. It turns out that's. It's a pretty, it's, it, you know, just say whatever you want. It doesn't even matter. Like, you could say anything. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah, I'm getting married next week. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. wow, cool. Well, you'll now be there. Yeah, so exactly. You'll never know. Yeah. Uh, congratulations to me, I guess. Does so, your sister know? My sister? Does she know about the neighbor? She knows now, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, we had a talk about, like, like, she couldn't figure out for the life of her why I didn't like, why I wouldn't talk to my mom for, like, years. So, one day, we were, there was a different family funeral. We were in Tillamook, and we were out drinking. And she was like, why don't you like mom? And I'm like, you sure you want to know? <laughs> yeah. Because be very sure before I tell you that that's, you know, 
And then uh, I told her, and she's like, ugh. I'm like, yeah, pretty bad. Um, but she, she and my mother had a much different relationship. So yeah. they got along. Um, although, honestly, in the grand scheme of things, I got it. I was better off. Because my mom was, I mean, insane. Like, when, when my dad left, uh, it broke my mom. She mm. never, never recuperated. Like, her whole life, like, they, she dated my dad from junior high on. Oh. So they got married. She thought in her head, you know what? We're going we're gonna to get married, yeah. have kids. It'll be great. Have a family. Um, and then one by one, those things yeah. stopped working. Like she couldn't have biological mm-hmm. kids cause she had a hysterectomy. So she had to adopt, which honestly in hindsight, she probably didn't really want to do, but she did. And then tried her best to give a shit, but probably, you know, it's gonna, there's no way you don't remember that they're, they're an adopted kid as opposed to a biological kid. That's just a, there's no way that you don't I, know. I agree. And also, I was adopted at three months, so I was basically like a huge amount of the mm-hmm. formative time mm-hmm. already happened. So, my sister was adopted at two weeks, so that was a lot. It was just like a lot, a lot more formative years with her and my mom than me. Hmm. But yeah, she never recuperated. She it broke her psychologically. Well, it's a, uh, that's like an identity thing too at that point. Like that codependency on yeah. your dad. Like that is how do you function without this person that you've been with since adolescence? Like, you know, yeah. like I'm sure. She never it. she never I mean, she got married again. <laughs> he was he was uh, god, that guy was a piece of shit. Um But yeah, uh I'm pretty sure my mother had Munchausen syndrome. Like she oh. would, she would like hurt herself and then not do physical therapy so she could be crippled more. It was just yeah. shit like that. It was fucking nuts. So you saw the decline after the divorce with, um, with that. Not as there... not. A, I mean, it, it 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 was. Yeah, I mean, at one point, so I moved back to Portland. I I left town. Uh, my mom was living in Hillsborough and I was living in like Eugene and Bend and and then I traveled around for a little bit. But I moved back to Portland in part because I, you know, and this was like 20, I was 24. I was pretty sure my mom was going to die within like a year. So I moved back to be in town when that mm. happened and then she just hung out for 24 more years or 23 wow. more years which I couldn't believe, but she was trying her bet. Like she was just constantly hurt, crippled, taking too many meds, shit like that. Um, just not, not super functional person. Mm-hmm. Um, so you say that you think maybe you got the better end of the deal as opposed to your sister because of all that, the master manipulation that. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't ever deal with it. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I like, so I didn't have much contact with her. From like, like twenty four to like thirty, mm-hmm. and then um, the the my ex wife was like, "Why don't you have a relationship with your mom? We need to have a relationship with your parents." So 
So that she came back into my life for a little while. And then uh, my ex-wife was like, oh, I see. Mm -hmm. We don't have to talk to her anymore. Mm -hmm. And I was like, perfect. So then I didn't talk to her like from Mm -hmm. 39 on. I didn't didn't have anything to do with her Mm -hmm. until, well, 38 on. And then until she died. And essentially that is a boundary. Yeah. Which is awesome that you were even able to do that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I didn't want to have anything to do with her anymore. Like, it was just, nope. Yeah. You're a bad person. Yeah. But nobody else knows. I mean, that's the thing. That's the thing that is so difficult because everybody else, as far as everyone else is concerned, literally everyone else in the world, this lady was just the nicest person. She was just sweet as pie. Mm Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, I'm the only one that's like, Nah, <laughs> like she's a terrible human being, but whatever. She's dead now, so who gives a shit? It's still crazy. It is still crazy. And so your sister, now that she knew everything about your mom, does she know about the babysitter? Mm-hmm. Okay. That's nice, yeah. right? I mean, that the fact that you guys connect still, probably not close, but can, uh, at, least, can at least talk to, in truths. Right, like, and at yeah, least be I mean, truthful. we're, we're um, so my sister and I have a have a decent relationship now. It got better after my mom passed away. Mm. Um, it was getting better before that, and then mm-hmm. uh, you know, and I and I like, you know, she has kids, she has a family, um, and she's doing a much better job of it. Both my mm. my my sister and my brother in law are doing. Um, I mean. Yeah, as about as well as anyone could expect. Mm-hmm. Um, my niece and nephew are cool people, so you know they seem to be growing up without. Like I mean, our childhood was not easy for my sister either, in a much different way. Yeah, but um, and she responded to it. it we were also very poor, so because uh, of my my mom, um, yeah, she she had a she worked full time, but made like. Twelve thousand dollars a year, mm-hmm. but she worked like eighteen-hour days. It's fucking ridiculous. Like six days a week, it was yeah. insane. They paid her almost nothing, but they put her on a salary so they could. And my dad did not pay child support mm. for ever, really, like most of the time. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, so we were poor most of the, like mm-hmm. like a lot of our childhood. Her, her particular, because Jen never lived with anyone else other than my mom. So she was poor the whole time, uh, including like having, at one point, having to live in um, uh, our uncle's uh, like living room with my mom. Like they camped God, out at like, yeah. like somebody else's house and stuff. So when that happens, like there's a couple ways you either go, like you either go the way that I did, which is, uh, you know what, money is kind of transitory, who gives a shit? Right, and or you're like, I'm gonna get rich so this never has to happen to me mm-hmm. again, and that's the way my sister went mm-hmm. and has succeeded. And mm-hmm. why would why like I mean, as far as I know, um, owns a bunch, has a bunch of money, owns a bunch of stuff. Uh, my niece and nephew have never, never uh, known struggle, mm-hmm. as far as I know. I mean, they probably probably think that they do. Like oh yeah, for sure. Did, yeah. Did like, yeah, 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 yeah. Man, this is really hard. Like, oh, is it? Yeah. 
but I hope that they're. I hope that's the way that it goes. I hope. Yeah. I hope that the worst thing that ever happens to them is like they don't get asked to prom. Right. That'd be tight. Yeah. Like that's what I want from them. Yeah. Honestly, that's what I. That's what I would. That's what it would make. I would be delighted to no end if the only thing they ever had to complain about was right. like. My mom bought me a used car for my 16th birthday yeah. instead of yeah. the new BMW I wanted. You know what? That is, that's terrible. I feel for you. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to be the kind of, I'm not going to yeah. be the guy who's yeah. like, you don't know shit about I suffering. Know. Like, fuck that. Why, why bother? Right. Bother. Yeah. They don't, they don't. When you don't, you don't. When you don't. And, yeah. and, and you shouldn't. And I hope right. you never do. Exactly. Because you're a child. Or even as an adult. Yeah. I don't think there's. Like, sure, um, having a lot of trauma happen to you early allows you to endure things that, you know, are seemingly unendurable. But at the same time, like, that's not really a skill I want. Like, I would yeah. much prefer to be, like, when, when obstacles come up, to just be devastated instead yeah. of, like, oh. I really appreciate you saying something like that because I think that as it doesn't even matter how big the trauma is. Trauma is trauma. It's all relative. Yeah. But I think that, how do I want to word this? Children of baby boomers specifically, we carry this weight Yeah. because we were like the, that generation that's talked about it or is now talking about it rather. Didn't yeah. even at the time. And um, we like to compare our traumas and we still have this like our society has this yeah. weird like well you know she was assaulted by a stranger well at least she do- doesn't know them like it's that yeah. kind of yeah. comparison and right. just kind of disgustingness and i feel that way so much so and i've had so many people like disagree like well trauma makes you stronger and trauma find you know you find your fighter and you find yourself and you find a way to thrive and i'm like how is survivor mode your whole life healthy? Like, yeah. how do you even have time to say, I'm going to follow What is passion? What is feeling? Because yeah. you're just <laughs> trying to go to the next thing. Yeah. You know, like you're always in survival mode and you never can, you're in it when you don't even know it. Yeah. Just day to day you're in it. So, so a question I have for you, um, do you have anything like mental illness wise that you have been diagnosed with or you live with that you think is connected to your story? Oh, yeah, 100%. You do. What have you been? Uh, It is um, generalized disassociative disorder. Um, And I have two, there's a bunch of flavors. Uh, One of them, the most extreme version is multiple personalities that I don't have. Um, The other one, uh, there's other, the other two are, um, like I don't, I never feel real. Right, and it's hard to describe what that's like, but um, I live in a like, like if I'm not, if I'm not seen, like um, it's part of the reason why I do comedy. Honestly, like a lot of people do comedy to make up for like trauma, and most of the time, it's like nobody cared about me, so I want adoration of the crowd, and that seems horrible. I don't have that. I don't give a fuck if the crowd likes me. What matters to me is the crowd notices that I'm there. Because mm. that's, that's the thing that I, that I struggle with, is just feeling like a real person. Most of the time, I just feel like... I, I, 
I, uh, I've described it as like, you, did you ever see that movie? It was like Puff the Paper. There was like the, the boy and then he just had, to, he came like, had a paper version of him and he was like wandering through life as like yeah, paper Bobby or whatever. Yeah. That's how I feel. I feel like paper Dan most of the time. <laughs> oh my God. So how old were you when you were diagnosed with that? Oh, I, it wasn't until I was in my last 40s. Okay. So at recently, yeah, but it was. It, I mean, it was one hundred percent true the whole time. I just didn't know there was anything, any um, term for it. Like I, I went. So I was seeing. Um, I saw one counselor for a long time, and legitimately, when you start counseling, you should like. He asked me, "What do you want?" And I was like, "I just want to be able to appear normal, so I can keep a job. That's it." Like. Which is not a good goal for therapy. <laughs> like, kind of fucking, is though. Like, I mean, I mean it kind, kind of, of, in a way, it's actually, yeah. I wish some more people would do that exact same thing. Yeah. Like to be, not, maybe not appear normal, but like just be able to live life yeah. and, and, and get through it. Sure. Um, but it wasn't helpful. Like I wasn't, right. I wasn't figuring shit out. Yeah. Um, and so um, then I, uh, started seeing a different person after my divorce. Honestly, it was it was the marriage counselor and then I just started seeing her yeah. after the divorce. Um and um and she gave me this test that was just like let's just see where you fall, right? And then then it came the <laughs> she get she scored it and we were talking about it and like all of my scores were like 95 and up out of 100 except for two one was 75 and the other one was 50 and i was like yeah i did really great and she's like no like anything above 70 is considered abnormal so i was yeah. abnormal oh like God. across the board like yeah. like a hundred like way yeah. worse than i would have thought so yeah so the one thing i don't um i don't uh, feel real very often and the other is i don't process emotions very well so i have a very difficult time making an emotional connection in fact when people talk about it i don't even know what you're saying like the idea that you connect with another person on an emotional level is so foreign to me that i don't know what it means um it's like so yeah it's it and that has been a problem that has plagued me. Um, mm. So that, that, the, the unreality thing, whatever I can, I can, you know, but the, but the emotional connection thing, I mean, that's, that's a real problem because mm-hmm. you, you can't really be in a relationship with another human being with, without doing that. Yeah. And I've never managed to do that. Right. Like all of the people that I've, the most successful relationships I've had are with people who had um, major substance abuse problems. So they were also closed off. So like. It worked. It worked. Like they didn't notice. They didn't notice that I was like, there was not a sin. There wasn't, there wasn't whatever this, whatever the bond people talk about is, Mm -hmm. however that is. um, They didn't notice it wasn't there because they wouldn't have felt it either. Yeah. That's because they were numbed by substances, mm-hmm. whereas I'm just like, doesn't take booze to make me numb. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just numb most of the time. 
So, uh, yeah, that's something that I'm hoping to fix in my fifties. Mm. Uh, I don't know because I don't know what it would look like to have that be better at mm-hmm. this point, but you know, good I'm for not, you I'm, though. For I mean, at least you're like that, that, that diagnosis it's crazy how fitting, like after hearing your story. Yeah. Because there was not, there was at, often with trauma, there's no advocacy at all. Like there's sure. nobody, but there is an enormous amount of repetition of people just like pointing at you and sure. saying you're wrong or you're, you're not normal. Something's wrong. Like, which is also just equally terrible to think that sure. you're not, what you were going through actually was fairly normal. Like how, what you were feeling, if somebody just would have been able to tell you that, like what you were going through as an individual person. Oh you yeah. Know? Like, yeah. I don't think, I don't no think one I ever said that to you. Like, I don't think no I would have made it as far as I did without somebody asking at some point now. Like that, yeah. it is, that is one thing that I really uh, am envious of, of, of people who like, like, even millennials, but it, you know, Generation Z even more so. Like everybody's talking about how they're weak or whatever, and I'm just like, fuck off! Like they yeah. just, they're just actually like paying attention. Like, mm-hmm. oh shit, there's this kid. Why is he fucking up? Let's find out. Yeah. In 1977, oh, this kid's fucking up. Well, he's a fuck up. Yes. Let's throw him in the trash. Like yes. that's, it's not okay. Like it's fine now. Like I would much rather. I would much rather have grown up now. Yeah. Like I wish I'd have been born in 2000. I wish I was a millennial. I wish yeah. I was I wish I was a generation Z. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Like yeah. growing up and like And having somebody acknowledge that you are uh, you are a real person. Yeah. You, your feelings, what you can say them out loud yeah. and someone will validate them. Sure, like yeah. what does that even feel like? That's right. like off the table for yeah. at least I mean, I would say I don't know when the shift happened. I really don't know if it was millennials or prior to that, but it's pretty much anyone 40 plus. <laughs> like it was kind yeah. of like no one validated us. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it was trauma, molestation, assault, uh, domestic violence stuff, or yeah. witnessing other people going, like it doesn't even matter. Yeah. It, nobody was going to listen anyway. Yeah. Like, or say, well, let's take care of this. I mean, yeah. I'm sure there's a, that's probably not true. There's probably a few people that were raised into functional families and had figured families cared. There's got to be a few, right? Yeah. But majority, majority, I mean, majority, no. like gone. Definitely no. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's bizarre that that quote unquote diagnosis of that was like, of, that makes the most sense of anything I've ever sure. heard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, it's, I mean, it, 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 it's something that is good that it's, it's good that I finally have, uh, like term for it. Like, here's a thing. Yeah, this is how this, this, this is what the deal is. But yeah. And you're trying to, so yeah. Who, anybody help you throughout this whole, your whole life of this garbage that you were given? Uh-huh. Does anyone stand out to you that actually helped you in a positive way? Maybe maybe some of those therapists that you were talking about, like the yeah, the one therapist that that helped me diagnose it in the first place. Even mm-hmm. the guy before that, honestly, yeah. helped me to some degree. Although um, I have a problem with therapy where I become combative. Um, 
with the person. They become an authority figure, and I immediately hate them. So that's a mm-hmm. problem. Um, and I'm seeing somebody now, honestly, on this web, this app, uh, BetterHelp.com. Mm. They they like let video conferencing with people, and um, and they've been helpful. Um, and it's pro- partially because there's not enough people in the greater Portland metropolitan area doing therapy for people with PTSD. Mm-hmm. Like that's the other thing. I whatever. That, oh yeah, you, of you know, course. Yeah, you have course. complex PTSD yeah, without yeah. a doubt. Yeah. Yep. So there's not a lot of people that work with that, and mm-hmm. the ones that do are fucking busy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I couldn't find anybody. Like I needed a therapist, and I knew it for a while, but I couldn't find anybody. And then I finally found this better help um thing and i uh hooked me up with this lady who lives in like um junction city or somewhere outside of eugene Mm -hmm. like coburg something like that and she's been great like we did this fucking weird this weird like hippie thing yesterday that like it it worked so well it made me angry you know what i mean what was it it was just this (laughs) Was it, did you do it? Well, because it wasn't in person. No, but we, was it, like, it was, it was, right. it was like, so it's just yeah. like, like you just kind of repeat a phrase like, yeah. a, like and then like tap yourself on the oh, body. Oh, EMT. I totally know I've done this. Like I know exactly the therapy yeah. and have certain tapping points. Yeah. 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 And re- repetition of yeah. the same mantra in yeah. a way when you're feeling yeah. things. Yeah. No, it's fucking amazing. It worked a hundred percent. Like yeah. I, I was, it worked so well, it made me mad. I love that. Because I was like, are you fucking, are you kidding me? tapping, right? You mean this? <laughs> this is work. I had a cheat code on my body this whole time and nobody fucking told me. This is some bullshit, man. I was fucking furious. Yeah, I, I can imagine like going this long and being like, what? What? I this? Can- <laughs> this is, it, this is so dumb. <laughs> Why is yeah. this working? This oh shouldn't God, work. That's so cool, though. Yeah, it was nice. I mean, it was good, but man, I was like, "Fuck, okay." So, of all the things that you've went through, I always ask this: What is um, what's been your best coping mechanism for you, and the best thing that's helped you heal besides your oh, tapping yesterday? Healing, or like maybe not. I shouldn't classify it as healing because that becomes a whole other thing. So, just coping. Like, what's been good for you through all of this? Oof. Um. I mean, gosh. I wouldn't say that I've even really coped with it well. Like, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't call it that. Like, I wouldn't say that I've been dealing with it well. Like, um, like hmm. part, of the, part of the thing about the, the, the diagnosis that I have is that because I don't process emotions normally, I don't, mm. I don't feel a lot, right? So pretty numb, like just kind of a like yeah. a like a like a like 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 mm-hmm. a like a fuzz on a TV. So, um, that although it sucks, has got me through many many oh yeah things. Mm-hmm. Like just, I mean, there's a reason why it's the case in the first place. Like I just have to just wait it out mm-hmm. and eventually whatever's bothering me will probably stop. Mm-hmm. And that's usually been the case. That's what I've done. 
that's how I've dealt with most things in my life is just waited it out. Um, but that's not a, right. That's not good. It's a bad idea, you know? So, um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I have such a thing like as that, like it, it hasn't come up. Like, um, even when I'm super sad, what I just do is like, you know, just wait it out. I -hmm. know, um, that, uh, from experience that if I wait long enough, it'll, it'll ebb. Like if it's coming on and I wait long enough, it will stop. Mm -hmm. So I just have to suffer through it. Mm -hmm. So I just power, I mean, I, you know, just like let it happen, Mm -hmm. which is not, I don't know if it's necessarily good or not, but that's just how what you do. That's how I've lived to be 49 when most people who are in my shoes die before 30. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. But so I mean, when I first started doing comedy, which I'm not right now, but when I first started, you were like one of the first people I met, like when the first three months. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm surprised that comedy isn't up there for, um, for just, because it's such a good outlet for you. And like seeing you for the last, God, probably like eight years. Eight years. Which is crazy. Um, seeing you develop and like your voice changing and being True. more, whether it's because you're numb or not, the people in the audience don't know. Sure, they don't so know. So they don't know. So it watching you share the way you share sure. and, and make jokes of the absolutely horrific things that have happened to you. Yep. You know, a lot of people would see that as a, a possible way of healing and coping and, and, and because you're talking about it. I mean, it is in a way, uh, it does take the venom out of it. Does um, it? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, but it's like, um, I, I don't think of comedy. Comedy is not therapy for me. Mm-hmm. Like, if I'm joking about it on stage, I already think it's kind of funny. Right. Like, it's not like, I'm going to make this thing that is horrible yeah. funny to me. Yeah, you it's don't like, go into it writing a joke around it. No, You're like, it's this like, is funny, this, so this I'm going to talk about it. This is funny to me, yeah. and I, other, I want other people to realize mm-hmm. that this terrible thing is also hilarious. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, the, that's where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, do I always succeed? No. Sometimes everyone in the audience is like, nope, still horrible. <laughs> like, I feel yeah. real bad right now. Thanks. Yes. <laughs> uh, so whatever. But that's, right. your, that's your cross to bear, not mine. Like, yeah. I'm still, I, st- I didn't say it on stage because I didn't think it was funny. Right. Um, and I'm not up there, like, trying to make myself feel better by no. sharing shit. It's no. not about that at all. Like, and some people do, and I find that annoying. Um, yeah, I'm not like that. No, you're not at all like that. But, but I do think that the audience, like, for what it's worth, people are connecting to your trauma when you talk about it and identifying the ones that have been through it themselves, yeah. well, which I'm, is connection. Yeah, I mean, part of it, part of the why, why I've always done that kind of shit, like talk. I mean, oh yeah, you've yes. legitimately the fucking suicide, the the suicide as a kid joke. I've I've had for mm-hmm. seven years, mm-hmm. and I yes. I say it all the time. Mm-hmm. And I do it, uh, even though I had at least two people tell me not to. We're like, you got to stop doing that joke. And I'm like, never. 
I hate, I hate when people tell you what to say and do anyway. I mean, part of it, I mean, the other re- the reason I don't is because, like, those two people didn't like me telling that joke. But at least, like, 25 people have told me at various times, mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm glad you said something because I thought I was alone. Yeah. I thought I was the only one that yeah. ever, th- I thought yeah. I was the only one that thought about killing myself when I was a kid. I'm like, yeah, no. Yep. There's a bunch of people like us. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, one guy, one guy, honestly, one dude, uh... I wish I I still had the email and I I don't know I don't even know how I knew that it happened but this guy I used to run a show at the Bar of the Gods like mm-hmm. a long time ago mm-hmm. and this guy came in um and I don't I I kind of remember he was just some dude that was chilling there wasn't mm-hmm. a lot of audience members so he was one of the few mm-hmm. um and he was just drinking a beer and he he came in and then he sent the venue an email like look I my intention that night was to have one last beer before I went home and blew my fucking brains out. Like he was going to have oh my God. one last drink at the bar of the gods before it was over. And then he heard me do that joke about wanting to kill myself. Oh. And he was like, you know what? It was funny enough that he didn't kill himself. That night. I don't know if I cursed him to more suffering before... <laughs> Before oh. he eventually ended it or whatever, but what, you know. You don't know if he's. I don't know. Yeah, but I don't still, know what the like fuck. Still. Yeah, but he, I mean, I'm, I'm never going to stop doing that joke. I'm never going to stop talking about being molested. Uh, I, I don't do it very much. Uh, that's, those are jokes that are like, I have to be deep in a set where the crowd is super on board because I'm going to, all the goodwill oh, yeah. I just built up, I'm going to spend. Right. You can't, they're not, if they're not going with you, they're not, that's not going to take them there. Oh, wow. Oof. I hope that you're all okay out there. Um, I know that, uh, this one was hard. Uh, Dan's delivery again is so brutally honest and so raw. And again, that's why I wanted him on. It's important that we understand that everyone has their own way of functioning and coping and dealing. And Dan, thank you so much for doing that, coming on here and being so honest. Um, please check out Dan's comedy. I'm going to be pushing some of it this week, so you will see it in the social media feeds. Uh, he is so funny. Um, and, you know, he's been able to use, I want to say, pain to purpose in a way, but I know that he's not necessarily trying to do that to be a hero, like I mentioned in my intro. But um, just he's found a way uh, to, to live in this world uh, with all of his trauma, which is so incredible. So thank you so much, Dan Weber. You're a freaking rock star. Please check out his podcast, uh, What's More Metal. And he also has another podcast called Reading the Bible with Dan, which is also really, really funny. I'll have a link up to that as well. Um, and for Dan's nonprofit, he picked uh, transition projects here in Portland, Oregon. Transition Projects provides individuals with services, resources, and tools they need to end their houselessness, secure housing, and maintain that housing. They're absolutely incredible. They assist over 10,000 people a year experiencing houselessness. Um, The homeless right now are finally being paid attention to, and I am very excited about that. Uh, It's sad that the virus is the reason why, but um, I am thankful that so many of uh, the houseless have shelter right now. Um, it makes my heart sing. I'm really hoping in this world that we can find a silver lining 
from what we're all going through. Because honestly, what we all are going through is uh, trauma together. Um, and it's new territory for all of us in this generation. So, um, you know, to, I, I would like to request if you are listening to this, just reach out to someone and say, I love you today. Like pick up the phone and just call or FaceTime or do the things that you're more comfortable with and just compassion, man. Reach out and say, hey, I love you. You're important to me because it's a hard time for all of us. And that's the only thing we can do, right? Is just continue to spread joy, spread joy. And it's perfect to fit with Dan because that's what he does with his trauma. He spreads all of it around and he makes people laugh. And that's a pretty incredible thing uh, for a human being to be able to do. And he's very good at it. So thank you so much for listening. And of course, and always my nonprofit choice is Rahab Sisters. Um, they, if you feel like giving a donation there, please do. They are in need. Uh, everybody's in crisis and I hope that you're okay. And thank you so much for listening. And I'll, um, talk to you next week for episode six. When you can, please find us on, uh, Apple podcasts, write a review, rate us. or on all the social medias. We believe you pod, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all the things. And, uh, until next week, lead with compassion, reach out. And I love you. Thanks for listening. <laughs>